Alexander Solzhenitsyn said, The line separating good and evil passes through every human heart. Even within hearts overwhelmed by evil, one small bridgehead of good is retained, he said. And even in the best of all hearts, there remains an uprooted small corner of evil. What do we do with that? I'm Sheila Logminas, and you're in the Forum. Here's an important question. Do you believe in the devil? If he does exist, wouldn't he want you not to believe he exists? Doesn't that work out really well for the schemes the devil would use to turn people away from God and against each other in all sorts of harmful ways? While they think their feelings are all a matter of their personal freedom and liberty and certainly choice, wouldn't he? Here to engage these questions and ideas with good responses is Father Robert Spitzer, a philosopher, educator, founder, and president of the Magis Institute, dedicated to educating the public on how physics, philosophy, reason, and faith are related. He's president of the Spitzer Center of Ethical Leadership at Magis, the creator and teacher behind CredibleCatholic.com, an amazing author of important books, including his latest one, Christ versus Satan in Our Daily Lives, The Cosmic Struggle Between Good and Evil in Our Lives. Father Spitzer, always a pleasure to talk with you again. This is great to connect this way. Absolutely, Sheila. Always great to talk with you. So, Father, I love the title. So let's talk about that first. Christ versus Satan in Our Daily Lives. So that means you're going to address the idea that the devil, you better believe the devil exists, and you'll talk about that. But in our daily lives, meaning, is mm-hmm. as the Bible says, he's out there prowling around, right, in our daily lives. Mm-hmm. And then the subtitle you'll address, the cosmic struggle, so that means like we've always had this struggle from the beginning, yeah. between good and evil. That's, that's biblical. That goes all the way back. So that's, yep. that's all in your title alone. Yeah. So, um, of course, the daily lives part is really significant. I don't want people to think that the devil's out there, but I don't have to worry. Um, Absolutely. uh, uh, There should be a cause for concern here. Now, I don't want people to get overly worried. I don't want people to think that the devil's behind, you know, every rock or corner and, you know, they, you know, they have to be careful or that the devil is somehow just as strong as God when God is overwhelmingly more powerful than the devil. Nevertheless, um, he is very active. He's very active in every single person's life. His objective is to, uh, to kind of come in on our freedom and his objective is to help us uh, quote-unquote help us, in scare quotes, to um, move from um, a, a stance of, of using our freedom uh, to move toward God, uh, to move away from God. That's what he wants uh, f- for us, is to move away from God, to move toward him, to move toward his seductions, to move toward narcissism, to move toward idolatry, to move toward the eight deadly sins, and, and of course, to basically continue to wall ourselves off more and more from God progressively, so that we would actually almost consider choosing hell at the end of the day after he's got us so completely seduced, so completely wrapped up uh, in the seduction that he has, um, you know, kind of put forward. So this is the, um, uh, you know, this is uh, his typical tactic. 
And yes, he's very real. And yes, he's very active. And he's active multiple times per day. Do not think that uh, he takes a break. Uh, he doesn't need a break. Uh, he's uh, uh, constantly at it. And he's got all kinds of minions in his service. A lot of people who are skeptical about that, because, because that's what you're all about. I mean, everything you do at both Magis Center, M-A-G-I-S Center.com, CredibleCatholic.com, I'm posting this uh, on the, the blog, the, the links directly to this, and also to Father's book. But a lot of people are skeptical. And for those skeptical, it, in your, this is what you're all about. At both of those sites, everything you do is based on facts, peer-reviewed studies, scientific evidence, and so on. And so when people say, oh, yeah, how do you know? We'll prove it. I mean, what proof do you have that there's a devil of course it's in the bible and the devil prowls and night and day calls he's called the accuser and that's truly what he is but you know how does he how do you know today yeah i mean uh, i go to chapter three the first thing i try to do in chapters one and two is establish the fact that god is more powerful than the devil and that he is uh just no he's more present than the devil in a way uh you know protecting us and helping us within the constraints of our freedom and then of course christ's victory over satan but in chapter three i get right to it and i decided to look at the cases of possession that have a great deal of credibility uh, one of those cases the case of robbie Mannheim, um is quite interesting because it was actually the diary that William Peter Blatty used to create the book, The Exorcist, which of course was a um, uh, um, very well-known movie oh, way back in the 1970s. Um, but it, it uh, definitely got a huge um, uh, following of people who just basically said, wow, if this is true, I, I better uh, look to God. And uh, as a matter of fact, now there was a lot of Hollywood stuff, the 360 turn of the head and the, uh, uh, green vomit and things of that nature definitely were Hollywood. However, all the main constituents of that exorcism were absolutely true. Of course, it wasn't of a little girl. It was of a little boy. And of course, it was not of uh, in Washington, D.C. proper, though it did start at the Georgetown University Hospital uh, in Washington, D.C., but then moved uh, to St. Louis University, where several Jesuits undertook the exorcism at St. Louis Shoe, and then they moved it from St. Louis Shoe because of the noise factor and other kinds of phenomena that were going on. They moved it to the Alexian Brothers Retreat House in St. Louis to complete the exorcism. But in point of fact, that was a very uh, real exorcism. It took 39 uh, exorcisms to uh, finally um, uh, move uh, the devil out of uh, Robbie. And, uh, you know, this vision of St. Michael the Archangel comes up at the very end of it, uh, where he orders, uh, literally orders the devil out uh, of Robbie after Robbie has, you know, freely accepted uh, God and even the sacraments in his own life. Um, uh, Robbie was just uh, basically an introverted young man. Um, and he was very close to uh, one of his aunts who was a spiritualist and taught him how to use the Ouija board and all oh. kinds of other things. And uh, when she died, uh, he felt very lonely and tried to communicate with her through the Ouija board. But he, uh, even though the Ouija board identified, uh, you know, that, um, it, you know, itself, the spirit in the Ouija board is identifying itself as, 
as her, it was in fact uh, a demonic spirit and that uh, you know, ultimately uh, possessed him. So that was the, uh, the, the upshot there. So um, uh, Robbie wound up um, uh, being possessed in a very manifest way. I mean, oh my gosh, you know, uh, things were moving all over the place, you know, objects shooting through the, the, the air without any, uh, obviously no provocation from uh, no throwing, no physical force utilized mm -hmm. to uh, cause this to occur. You know, uh, Robbie was levitating, speaking in Latin perfectly when he'd never studied a word of it. Uh, a, a series of phenomena that basically led the Lutheran minister who started it because Lu Robbie's family was Lutheran. But the Lutheran minister just said, this is beyond me. You have to go to the Catholic uh, Catholic priest to, to, to do this. And so they moved it over to the Catholic priest. Uh, they got uh, this young man um, to start it in uh, Georgetown, and it was completed by the Jesuits at St. Louis U. So that's a very real um, example of possession. And the reason I brought bring it up is because uh, there is a, uh, uh, a great deal of credibility to that diary, which is very accurate. And uh, the people who were writing the diary were all university level academics. Um, so they were very careful. Uh, you know, not inclined, right? Uh, these are university level uh, sociologists, university level people who were academics. That was their real life. Uh, they were um, asked by the bishop to do the exorcism as, as priests, but, uh, but basically were very, very careful in documenting things. And so that was one of the uh, ones I brought out. Another one was Dr. Richard Gallagher's exorcism of a woman named Julia, who was a satanic priestess, uh, for a good while, and then suddenly had a change of heart. But the reason I like Dr. Gallagher is because he is uh, uh, a psychiatrist who has been through, well, all of the best schools from Yale to Columbia uh, to New York University. And so he has a, a real, again, an academic pedigree, uh, causes him to be very careful, uh, has a, a great deal of knowledge of psychiatry, obviously, uh, because he teaches psychiatry as well as uh, acts as a psychiatrist, but um, I, I picked him uh, because, again, very carefully articulated uh, set of facts uh, without any exaggeration uh, in it. And so just to let people know, you know, that these phenomena um, are very real. I mean, even uh, at one point, uh, Julia was able to interrupt communications between uh, Dr. Gallagher and the priests who were doing the exorcism that were, you know, that this wasn't even at the house where Julia was. This wasn't at the place of the exorcism. Uh, this was literally Dr. Gallagher's calling from uh, his office down to some priests at their office. And she's on the telephone line uh, completely, you know, um, uh, or the devil voice is on the telephone line, uh, basically interrupting uh, the call and, and wow. uh, to, to scare the participants. Now, uh, Dr. Gallagher just wrote a book uh, called Demonic Foes. Um, uh, and so uh, he's got a, a whole series of exorcisms uh, uh, there that he talks about, but um, uh, I'm just uh, uh, citing the one, but it's sufficient to get people to think, okay, uh, house hauntings, they happen all the time. And they always seem to happen. Uh, in concurrence with some kind of occult activity or some kind of spiritualistic activity. 
which, uh, you know, basically calls forth these spirits. Uh, oftentimes a possession or a haunting or an obsession can happen, um, you know, when uh, uh, somebody is, is cursed. But the vast, vast majority of the time, people are doing either something satanic, something occult, even the Ouija board. I mean, I'm telling you, the Ouija board is a very, very dangerous thing to be involved in. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, uh, obviously, um, uh, you should not be, uh, you know, even toying with it mm-hmm. because uh, look at what happened to Robbie, just for an example. So um, enough said there, but yeah, I think there's a, a lot of real evidence uh, for um, a demonic possession. And uh, if you want a lot more cases, read Dr. Gallagher's book, um, Demonic Foes. Uh, he was present on a um, so many different exorcisms because he was uh, the archdiocesan um, uh, consultant, psychiatric consultant that has to be consulted before the exorcisms, uh, both in, I think it was New York and Connecticut. Oh, wow. Diocese and archdiocese have exorcists and Pope Mm -hmm. Francis has called for what them all to have one. And the Vatican has their own exorcist who's written, I know, a book about this. Mm -hmm. Father, so people hearing these stories uh, Mm -hmm. might be very, very afraid. Do you think generally people who do or can at least sort of they're on the fence maybe, but they worry, yeah, maybe there is a devil and he's out there, you know, as the Bible says, prowling uh, day and night, all the time out there. Uh, no. what, what Do you think maybe that they would be afraid to engage any of the, this kind of material just because it's so, it's so scary and so they're afraid? Um, it, it, explain that and explain why, given the right way of living, you have nothing to be afraid of. Well, that's that's right. I mean, uh, honestly, uh, uh, my sister says, oh, I saw your new book. Uh, think I'll avoid chapter three. That's the one on the devil. I said, actually, don't. I said, uh, you know, the, he's, you're not, he's not going to get power over you by, uh, you know, reading the, the story of Robbie Mannheim. I mean, uh, Ra- Robbie Mannheim went through the exorcism. And now he doesn't even remember it. So, you know, the, the devil can't get any permanent hold on you. Plus, the name of Jesus is so powerful. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you ever had the sense that the devil was sort of prowling around you, all you have to do is say, in the name of Jesus, mm-hmm. be gone, Satan. That's all you have to say. And if you say it about four times, you'll notice that uh, any sense you have of the preternatural or even evil will begin to diminish. He cannot take the name of Jesus. I mean, if you honestly, it's, it's quite remarkable. And in you know times when I've been involved in deliverance prayers and things of that nature, I can tell you the name of Jesus is so utterly powerful. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he just uh, he, he shrinks before the name of Jesus, and this happens all the time. But if you yourself, if you're going to confession, you know, three four times a year, if you're going to the sacraments, you know, especially the Holy Eucharist, worthily as often as you can, right? I mean, honestly, you're not going to be the type that the devil wants to go after, uh, as it were. You're an unpleasant host, if I can put it that way. <laughs> and, uh, so the the main thing is uh, is um, you know, uh, is that we just keep our freedom 
intact, that we try to follow the Lord's teaching. Uh, we try to uh, go to the sacraments and, and confession and, and the Eucharist are like your invulnerability force shield, if I can use the, you know, Star Wars uh, Wars terms, you know, and basically you're, you're kind of putting up uh, you know, a shield uh, against uh, the evil spirit. And if you should ever feel like you're in a situation where you, you feel like, uh, uh, you know, the devil might be present, just use the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, be gone, Satan. And, and that's, I mean, that prayer is so powerful, it just keeps him far, far away. The less he hears the name of Jesus invoked in either power or trust or confidence, I mean, obviously, he not only doesn't like it, he shrinks from it. And so uh, that's, uh, uh, there's no need for fear. Uh, all there is is need uh, to be aware that he's a tempter, right? And so that's his usual tactic. He doesn't go around and, and try and possess people who are uh, obviously going to church and trying to follow the Lord's teaching. Uh, and that wouldn't be uh, uh, you know, possible really for him at all. Uh, let alone, um, you know, uh, finding you a, a, a host that's worth being in. However, I would say he will obviously continue to tempt you. And even as you grow in virtue, he will definitely step up the temptations. There's no doubt. Uh, he wants you to fall back. He doesn't want you to proceed in virtue or moral conversion, doesn't want you to proceed in religious conversion, going to the sacraments more often, trying to, you know, uh, carry out a contemplative prayer life more assiduously. He doesn't want anything like that. So you can be sure he's going to do three things in order to prevent you from doing it. And these are his normal tactics. The first thing he's going to do is he's going to try and tempt you as much as he can. And he's going to find out which deadly sin you're most susceptible to. Mm. So if you're the type of person who just craves material things, he'll go for the greed. If you're the type of person who's tempted by lust, he's going to go for that. If you're the kind of person who's tempted by, um, you know, let's call it uh, anger or, you know, uh, uh, envy or pride or vanity, he's going to go for whatever it is. And, and more often than not, we have two or three things which are our weak areas. So of those eight deadly sins, and I separate out vanity from pride because I think they are very different sins in a way. Um, one is kind of looking for attention. The other one is looking for control over others to be a god um, for them. And that's a very different thing. You know, I want to be the top dog. I, it's not that I want you to admire me. I want to control you. I want you to worship me like, you know, you would worship God, that kind of thing. I think mm. probably more in that line. So I take your, you know, the first thing as St. Ignatius of Loyola would say is know yourself. What are the vulnerabilities? So I try to illustrate in chapters five and six, uh, the, the eight deadly sins in real detail. So I, I use literature um, because, you know, obviously I use a lot of biblical examples, um, you know, from biblical mm -hmm. stories of the eight deadly sins, but also people will say, well, that's a Bible, and you can expect that. So I say, well, it's not just the Bible that talks about the eight deadly sins. All the classics of secular literature talk about the eight deadly sins, 
and they all occur in one major context. Tragedy. Tragedy. Mm. So wherever these things are present, tragedy occurs. So I use a, a lot of different, you know, illustrations. So for uh, pride, of course, Macbeth, uh, Shakespeare's Macbeth is, is the classic of a guy who just gets who would be king, right? He wants the power, and so does his wife, Lady Macbeth, who is equally complicit, proud, and unscrupulous. Uh, for envy, of course, I choose Shakespeare's Iago uh, in the play, mm -hmm. uh, The Tragedy of Othello, because <laughs> I can't, there's hardly a person more hellish, self-admittedly hellish, uh, than Iago. And so, uh, uh, you know, I, I choose him, among others, uh, you know, for, for envy. For anger, of course, uh, anger always gets people because they think, well, no, there's so much justified anger. You know, <laughs> right. I don't get why Jesus would be against, uh, you know, justified anger. Well, there is justified anger, and, and that's true. So long as the anger does not start taking you over, so long as the anger does not cause such resentment that it begins to look for repayment and vengeance. Mm -hmm. So long as the anger does not start stoking the fires of, you know, not just retribution, but even, um, uh, you know, a desire to shut down, insult, uh, to, to, uh, to get even in a whole bunch of indirect ways. Now, you know, most of the time anger does do that. So I, I chose Hamlet. Because if anyone mm -hmm. has a right to be angry, it, it, it's Hamlet, right? I mean, here's a guy, you know, his, his uncle Claudius kills his father by pouring poison into his ear so that he can marry his mother and take over the kingdom of Demi. The guy is truly a cad. He's a terrible person. I mean, Hamlet has a right to be angry. But look at what the anger does, unbeknownst to Hamlet. The first thing is he's in his mom's room and he hears some rustling behind the curtain and figures that the rustling there is his old uncle Claudius. But instead, it, it's his good friend and tutor Polonius. And because he's so outraged and so angry, he jumps to this conclusion and just jabs a sword right through the curtain and mm -hmm. lo and behold he kills Polonius mm -hmm. and then as we know Ophelia who is his fiance well she winds up committing suicide because of the death of her father and then Laertes who is his best friend um, uh, winds up it was the son of, of Polonius uh, challenges him to a duel where everybody dies at the end right yeah the dies, Laertes dies, Hamlet dies, Uncle Claudius dies, everybody's dead. And you look at that and you go, oh, wait a minute, how justified was that anger that got the whole ball rolling? Yeah. You know, I mean, so I, I just decided I'm going to illustrate these things from uh, classical literature, but also modern stuff like uh, greed. I, I choose Gordon Gecko right out of Wall Street. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Greed, for lack of a better word, is good. So, I mean, you start looking at these lines from Gecko. I mean, he is just Satan himself, no question. And Bud, of course, is this 
person so susceptible to success, so susceptible to the great life, the penthouse in New York City with the, uh, the, 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 the trophy wife from Darien, Connecticut, et cetera, who's named Darien, one of the wealthiest cities in the whole of the United States. It's just all about money, success, image, and Bud's all over it. But then he's got to pay the price. And ultimately, of course, Gecko is saying, hey, bud, you know, you're doing all these things and I taught you how to do these things and I made you a wealthy man. Now, you know, the next company I want to disassemble and, uh, and sell off for its parts is your dad's company. It's, uh, you know, it's, uh, I know your dad works for this company and, uh, He's the head shop steward and all these people in the company who are building these aircraft are your, your father's friends and your friends and so forth. But sorry to say, it's the price of admission and Bud can't bring himself to do it. So he mm -hmm. turns state evidence. But of course, Gecko clobbers him, you know, when he does. And so there's always the tragedy, you know, no matter how you look at it, these sins, they're, they're not only the instrument of others undoing, and they always are, right? Because all these things, you know, the, the eight deadly sins, the victims are always the people around us, but then they become the seeds of our own undoing. And then as, you know, uh, it, it happens, of course, the tragedy ensues. Macbeth doesn't just kill the people who are standing in his way to getting to the throne. It eventually winds up undoing his wife and himself. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, not only are they going to be killed, um, you know, but basically they're already suffering from the torment, the guilt, the depression, etc. The same thing, I mean, you, you go through all the various tragic characters, uh, you know, and so many wonderful classics. And you can see that the devil has only one thing in mind, to tempt you to the point where you not only destroy the people around you, but you also destroy yourself. And if you can take a chunk of the culture along with you, you do that too. Oh, it's wow. not good enough for the you know devil to say, you know, you ought to uh, support abortion. You know, he's going to try and get you not only to support it, but to justify it mm -hmm. and to corrupt other people around you and to corrupt other people in the culture. He's going to try and get you to go as far as he can get you to go. And then and then he wants to destroy you for all your efforts. It's uh, that wonderful image of the, the Silmarillion, you know, in J.R.R. Tolkien, mm -hmm. uh, his book, The Silmarillion, where the spider has wolfed down everybody she can get and finally she's so ravenous that she wants to and can only sustain her hunger by eating herself and that's ultimately what happens we eat ourselves when we comply with evil if, Father, you, when you bring up all these things, I'm, I, th I think so much of even, you know, of course, fiction, great literature always, always turns on the drama of these things that you, you bring up, the, the deadly sins. Of course, mm -hmm. they're present in all of these. But as you, as you speak of each of these, I'm thinking, wow, there's so much of this that applies to today's people, 
uh, out there in society and culture at large. When you mentioned culture and certainly abortion, that's become yeah. sort of the golden uh, cow now, uh, it, it, the idol for yeah, the sacrament of Satan himself. Yeah. Oh gosh, you know, and, and to convince so many people. Uh, if they're not convinced, they're sure doing a good jo job of, of, of uh, imitating the, con the conviction that they believe abortion is a good. How you, mm -hmm. can, can, how you can justify that in your own mind and consciences, especially if you're a Christian and a Catholic, is uh, beyond the, uh, our ability to, to comprehend those of us who do go to confession, to the Mass, to the Eucharist, and those of us who do understand that from the moment of conception, human life exists – all the way through the uh, the vulnerable um, people in all sorts of states. Just think of Terry Schiavo or the elderly or the whatever. There yeah. are so many, and yet to to so whether it's euthanasia or whether it's certainly abortion, how widespread that is, we can't fathom how that can be called a good. It not only ends a human life, it devastates the woman. We care about both. But so all of these things you're saying, and then the anger, look at the anger all over our country this summer. There was so much rage. It was a summer of rage in the streets and it spread into some of the suburbs and what have you in America. And yeah. this, that whole uh, election, I would say presidential, but all these other ones, you know, whether it's in the House, the Senate, and still more are coming in January. So uh, that, that really divided Americans. And a lot of people were very, very, very angry at other people. And all you had to do is look at social media or turn yeah. on the news. And, yeah. and so, Father, I'm listening to you and thinking all of this applies today uh, to, to people out there. So in your book, you, you handle temptation and deception and the deadly sins. So I want people to know it's divided into like really two main parts, the realities of God's goodness and of spiritual evil, and then no. recognizing and overcoming these diabolical tactics, which is, you know, you, you've laid them out, the temptation, deception, the deadly sins. But mm -hmm. people f need not fear, as we said before, because no. you teach them through your book, Father, the basics of the spiritual life. You even get into Christian mysticism, excellent, the, the mm -hmm. you know, contemplation. People may not know that very well, meditation, contemplation, but the spiritual life is, is a really, if you, you know, a good place, what, to examine where we are with our Christian life. Absolutely. And there's all kinds of steps we can take. And, you know, the first step, of course, is to try and bring virtue into our lives, you know, ever more deeply. And, uh, and that's, that is, uh, well, actually, the first step is go to church. Mm -hmm. You know, that is the first thing. If you want to be safe from the evil spirit, go to church. Second step, please avail yourself of confession and the Holy Eucharist. That, you know, that's the second step. Do not refuse these sacraments. That's your shield. Don't mess, you know, around and, and kind of go into a neglect pattern. Because the moment you do, remember, the evil spirit abhors a vacuum. The minute he sees a vacuum of religiosity, a vacuum of religious fervor, a, a vacuum of, of intentionality behind church or the sacraments or virtue, uh, what we would call religious conversion and moral conversion, don't worry. He'll fill it in right away. He will kind of burst in there with additional temptations. And, and, and first, 
a lot of the temptations, you know, you might be kind of alert to some of them. So, you know, if it's something like, um, you know, greed or something like that, maybe he won't start there, you know, you know, or if, if you know, something is, uh, you have a temptation toward anger, maybe he won't start there. You could start on another uh, angle. And then, of course, when uh, you're kind of baffled and confused by the fact that, you know, wow, I mean, the, the vanity level is going way up in my life. And you, you recognize, then he comes right in with the, the, the usual ones, whatever it is, anger or greed or lust or uh, power or pride, whatever. But he, he's, he's kind of tricky. But the, the, the first thing to do is avail yourself, go to church. The second is avail yourself of the sacraments. That's your first line of defense. Your second line of defense, of course, is, is to try to get a, a life of prayer going. Even if it's just 15 minutes a day of contemplative prayer, even if it's just saying two, rows, two decades of a rosary, trying to say those decades intentionally, meaningfully, with real emphasis on those divine names of the Hail Mary or the Our Father or the Glory Be to the Father and the Son, Holy Spirit, right? If we're just doing that, to, just to communicate, be, be in connection with God and relationship with Him, the more you do, I can tell you this now, the more you stick with your prayer, the more connected you become with God, and the more connected you become with God, the greater your spiritual freedom. What spiritual freedom? Spiritual freedom to resist temptation. The spiritual freedom to actually look at the cross and say, I can endure this. I can deal with this uh, by trusting in God. I, I, I can get through this. I can deal with it. I don't like it, right? But mm -hmm. I, I, can, I, I, I can get through this by, by trusting in God. And, and as well as actually the spiritual freedom to embrace the Beatitudes in our lives. It's not easy to be humble hearted, that is to say, poor in spirit. It's not easy to be gentle hearted, uh, right, which is meek, right? It's not easy to be hungering and thirsting for holiness or righteousness, because it's, it's hard to keep your eye fixed on trying to be holy, especially when there's a gazillion distractions, or you got your Facebook account, or you got everything on the internet, or you've got all these stores. Well, maybe not in COVID, the stores aren't so important right now, but you can still bedazzle your eyes with all the online shopping right. available. So all the, the various things that kind of, you know, um, get to us, uh, you know, you know, there's always these distractions. But what I'm saying is you get this freedom to say, you know, I, I'd actually prefer holiness. <laughs> and that just comes mm -hmm. from being faithful to your prayer life. So that's that's kind of the third step. So first, go to church. Second, go to confession and the Holy Eucharist. Third step, get a prayer life going and just stick with it every single solitary day. Even if it's just 15 minutes, even if it's a couple of decades of the rosary, even if you just go out and buy the St. Augustine's prayer book or the or get your uh, a Notre Dame prayer book for students if you're a younger person and you just get out there and you do a couple of prayers a day, you do it intentionally, you do it meaningfully, right? You just get that going is really important. The spiritual freedoms will come. And then finally, you got to start working on the moral conversion. That is to say the resistance to temptation and the appropriation of virtue. If you take those steps, and I'm writing a second volume which will come out end of February 
or um, March of next year. Sorry. Good. And then June or July will be volume three, which is the moral wisdom of the Catholic Church. Aww. Father, this yeah. sounds wonderful. You've given us so much to to think about, not to fear, not to worry about. Uh, mm-hmm. Padre Pio, you know, certainly struggled with the devil, but he prevailed because, and he's the one who tells us to pray. It's either pray, trust, and don't worry, or pray, hope, and don't worry. But mm-hmm. either is really good. It's really hard. You've given us, uh, and your book gives so much more. In this just conversation, you've given us so much to do. And for a Catholic, whether you're Catholic or not, get into a church. You slip into a pew when you can and where you can, and then pray to God. Do it in your own home if you can't get into your church. But Father, what good advice. And for the people who say, but I'm so, I really intend to do that, but I'm so busy. It's when you're so busy is that when you most need to make time for prayer. I've learned that, Father, over the years. Yeah, no, it's so true. And uh, all I can say is you just have to be intentional. Put it into your schedule. Right. I travel a lot. Well, in non-COVID season, I travel a lot. And when uh, I'm traveling, even, you know, you just have to figure out, no, I'm going to get up a half an hour early. I I don't like going east and then having to uh, get up, you know, at uh, a half an hour earlier. So I get up at five instead of 530. But you just, after a while, it becomes second nature to you. You Mm -hmm. just bring it in there. You know, and you, you know, uh, uh, after my talks or after a reception before my talks, I just learn how to say, you know, around 930, I've got to go now. And uh, people go, oh, you you go to bed so early? I go, yeah, because I get up early Mm -hmm. and I intend to get up early and I just plan it in. And that makes a big difference. And then at night, I'm telling you the temptation at night when you do your nighttime prayers is you're going to say, I am too tired, you know, and my one thought is, I know what it's like to be tired at the end of the day. All you want to do is lie down. Don't lie down. You know, I, you know, my, I don't make a whole lot of it. I'm not a penance. I'm not really good at penances to be honest. <laughs> Who but is? What I'm good at is I stand up for my evening prayer. And I'm sometimes so tired, I could almost fall asleep on my feet. Wow. I keep standing because I know if I'm sitting or if I go to bed, I'm dead. You know, I'm out cold. So, you know, I, I just stand up and I just keep standing until that prayer is finished. And then uh, sometimes I'll say, oh, you know, what, what what happened there? You know, I spent my whole time concentrating on, on staying faithful to the prayer time and just trying to concentrate on what I was saying or doing. But you know what? That consecrated time, that faithful consecrated time to the Lord, that's everything that matters. 95% of the fruit of prayer happens outside of prayer. So you don't have to worry that you had perfect prayer, that you were perfectly recollected. In the evening, I rarely am. I'm staving off sleep. But for all intents and purposes, I, God rewards me for my fidelity. And the way that he does is by his presence in my life. And I know that presence. I feel that presence. And he's there. And so hang in there. Keep your contemplative life going. And I'm not saying that to you, but I mean, I'm saying it to the whole audience. 
is, you know, hang in there, keep your contemplative life going. Even if you think nothing's happening in prayer, don't even worry about it. God will give you the freedom commensurate with your intention to stay faithful to that prayer life. He really does. The more you try to communicate with him, he'll communicate back to you. Maybe not during the prayer, but maybe the very next day when you need him to be present to you. And there he is. And, and also during the time of prayer, I know I feel this every time, Father, and especially when I go to prayer in an urgent moment, there's something I'm really worried about. There's something out there that I'm fearful of for a family member, maybe a faraway family member, maybe nearby, mm-hmm. but it, whatever, whatever that worry is, when I go to prayer immediately and really try to push aside those worries, I yeah. inevitably every time, even though that worry might still be out there, the conditions, the circumstances, whatever, the uh-huh. peace is there too. Always prayer bring, brings peace in the moment. And then what you said, Father, is the next day, later on, you know, God will produce graces in your life that you, will, you may notice. Mm-hmm. And uh, they can come from God, but they're the fruit of prayer. Father, excellent advice. Your book is filled with it. We have so much more to cover in it. So we'll talk about that going forward. The book, Christ versus Satan in Our Daily Lives, The Cosmic Struggle Between Good and Evil Ever. Was it thus? It remains so today. We all need to avail ourselves of this book and the wisdom in it and everything you've said here in our conversation. So Father Spitzer, thank you for writing it. Thank you for taking the time today. Wonderful to talk with you as always. Oh, my honor, uh, Sheila. Thank you. That's a lot to consider and contemplate and work on in our personal lives, our spiritual lives, which we can control, and especially through prayer, while there remains so much we can't control. Father Spitzer will be back to continue exploring the truths in his book that reveal the truths in the world and our human hearts. Thanks for joining us. Please share the link and ask others to be part of the conversations here in the forum. (laughs) 